Welcome back to your number one sports podcast, All Things Sports. I'm your co-host, Small Town EP, joined by your host, Wade Julian, and our guest, Big Kev Shot It. In a week where Cam Newton isn't the only major scuffle in sports and the NFL salary cap raises, ATS is back to give you the real. Now, the Clippers go into a very interesting rebrand, and I was today years old, as they say, when I found out that a Clipper is quite literally a merchant vessel. Julian, is this news to you? Because where did this come from? Yeah, definitely news to me. I mean, I had to do some research on on what it was, and apparently this is a thing from like the late 1800s or so. Um, I didn't know that's where they got their name from. The Clipper vessel is uh, designed for speed. That's fun fact, I guess. But that's kind of all I know. I, I, I did some reading. That's That's the only thing that retained in my brain. And um, now, you know, the jokes are going to fly. I don't want to be as a casual will, you know, oh, it looks like a cruise line. It looks like a seafood spot. I didn't make the joke. I'm not going to recycle it. But this is what the streets are saying. However, um, I think it's a clean look. I think that it's better than the the LAC with the back. Not to say better, but I think they could use a new look. So, hey, like, I, I get it. Kev? Uh, what, what? No, you, real quick, real can... quick, Kev. Real quick, I want to hear what your honest thoughts were when you first saw this because I know you have something. I mean, I, I actually thought, like, the rebrand as far as the jerseys, I think they look clean. And, like, I, I was going to say, like, you could definitely say it looks better because that LAC was ugly. Like, that little, just that little crest or whatever it is, I hated yeah. that when they rebranded to that. So, um, I like the red jersey. Um, I think it gives you that, like, not throwback, but like a little bit of that, like old, like the Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan Clippers era feel, um, which I thought was dope. And like, that's what really started this whole Clippers destination thing. So I kind of like that they got back to that a little bit. Um, that's the only jersey that I think. I think eventually they'll obviously add city edition jerseys as they go along, things like that. But um, as far as like their three main jerseys, um, I think they're cool. Um, definitely like them better than what they currently have though yeah i mean speaking of city edition jerseys you know which city edition jerseys i'm not a fan of at all and now more so less than ever those new orleans pelicans jerseys man did you see that neon green with the black i don't know what they got going on maybe that's like that voodoo vibe or whatever the case is no disrespect to the city but them jerseys look bad um speaking of the pelicans though Miami Heat, Friday night in town in New Orleans. Kev was in town. He wasn't at the game, unfortunately. Didn't know, you know, Heat played uh, New Orleans on Friday. He probably would have got credentialed at the game or something like that. But, uh, man, we, we we had some interesting news in that game. We got a couple suspensions coming out of that game. Jimmy Butler being the star there. Jose Alvarado being the star for the Pelicans on, <laughs> on that side of the scuffle. And um, shout to Jovic, right? Shout to Thomas Bryant getting their hands dirty. And uh, Najee Marshall, man, he's just another T.J. Warren, just another, uh, what do you call him, Grant Williams kind of guy, right? This is your your animosity-building prototype and uh, team-building strategist for the Miami Heat, if you will. Like, this is just that part of the season where something happens in our season and it, it makes the guys click. We thought it was after, you know, they went on that skid of seven straight losses and then had to call each other out in a meeting in a players only meeting and that did you know spark something it sparked something where the guys started coming together a little bit more and 
you know, we started winning some games. Offense still hasn't been able to really pick up as much as we wanted to. But I think that the turning point of the season has to be Friday night in New Orleans. Jimmy Butler getting yoked up by the by the throat, which is crazy, A-yo. But it, it was funny to me how, you know, Najee Marshall, as tough guy as he seemed, grabbed Jimmy Butler by the throat, pause, and then suddenly starts to, you know, back, 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 back like uh, Barry Bonds' home run. And it's so funny. You know, shout out to E. Reed. Listen, E. Reed is, is my favorite telecast color commentator of all time. You know, he's he's always going to have his – he's honest. And I love him because he's honest. He's, he talks about the game in a real way. He doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't hate on other teams. And he doesn't just say things to say things. But he's going to make a slick comment. He's going to be very quirky about how he about how he navigates through insulting – um, the other team, and and he basically, you know, let, let it be known that hey, you, you grabbed Jimmy Butler's neck, but you started backing up. You know, what's, what's with all that? So Jimmy Butler obviously didn't uh, appreciate that, and he was trying to be real aggressive with it, and he was running down on him. That cleared the benches, and and then we got Jose Alvarado throwing jump punches at seven foot Thomas Bryant, I, and and guess what, Jose Alvarado, bro. I fucked with you, you know what I'm saying? Putting on for the Puerto Ricans, putting on for the little guards in the league, putting on for those who had a little chance and made the most of it. And I respect it. I still respect you, but I'm not fucking with it no more. I'm not. Um, this is, you know, this is Heat Nation. This is, this is if you, you ain't with us, you against us. And, you know, swinging on a Heat player, that's going to get you, that's going to get you, you know, out of my book. I'm not, I'm not rooting for that no more. So him and Najee Marshall are on the list. Again, with Grant Williams, with T.J. Warren. I feel like there's one more guy that, that might be on that list that I'm missing. But um, we also do appreciate this because when the Miami Heat have these bonding moments or a moment like when UD wanted to fight Jimmy on the court and Spo wanted to throw a punch at Jimmy on the court, it just made for all the better in a late playoff push. Kev, what are your thoughts on Friday night when you see Najee Marshall going at Jimmy Butler after what was not even a hard foul, very common foul from Kevin Love, um, and and Zion Williamson post game saying that you know Caleb tried to even help him. He did, he helped his fall. So, what are your thoughts on when you see that? Uh, yeah, I mean, jo- Josh Hart and uh, Jalen Brunson were talking about this the other day. Like nobody's trying to fight. Like, but you put your hands on somebody's throat, and somebody's gonna try to fight. Like that's to me, that's like you spit on somebody. You put your hands on my neck. That's it's go time. And so. Uh, yeah, it was just that is um shout out to Eric Reed because um I was actually talking about this and I said realistically he could be on the heat Mount Rushmore. Like oh yeah. Like oh yeah. That, like when he retires, when he decides he he doesn't want to, you know, call the play by play every season, his name is gonna be up in the rafters somewhere. Um you don't think about heat basketball without thinking about you read and all of his kabooms and can't. Like he's been since eighty eight, since the inception of the Miami Heat, he's been their play by play guy. So he is the the voice of the Miami Heat, um, and I I love the way he calls games. Like you said, you said it perfectly. Like he doesn't he keeps it real. He gives it he gives it to you how it is. I remember the Blake Griffin comments when Blake Griffin was in Detroit and wasn't really trying, <laughs> and he really was kind of like you know poking at him. Um, so he just yeah. keeps it a hundred percent, and I love that about Eric Reed. I love what he said during the, during the scuffle during the replays of the scuffle. Um, yeah, it was just uh, you know. Some fake tough guys going at a real tough guy and finding out, you know, what uh what it is. And Alvarado, I just culture. 
Like, what are you doing? Like, what 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 did you expect to happen yeah. with a guy that's like almost twice your size? Like, come on. So that that was just funny to Again, me. Again, it go that that goes back into your point of like you guys ain't really trying to fight. You know, they they understand that there's they're going they're gonna get away with only so much. So yeah. And then uh also big shout out to Jaime Jaquez because uh he was he was ready to go also for Jimmy. And so I love seeing the, I love seeing the rook just being like just being down for it. Like you could tell the Cali came out of him and he was like skipping towards him. It was yeah. it was it was that was <laughs> like yo, hold on, what <laughs> and Jovic just seeing Jovic's facial reaction was very like, yo, what's going on? And Jovic he's 20 years old. But he's 6'10", and I think Jovic is all a 6'10". You know what I'm saying? I got the opportunity to meet him in person, and he's a big dude. And from his rookie year to now, there's been a transformation. And them biceps, them biceps ain't no 18-year-old biceps, though. So shout out to Jovic. We saw that. There was a reunion. Jimmy took the guys out to Napa Valley, you know, visited the wineries in Napa and took the rookie and Jovic. And, I'm, and you know, he saw the Instagram post where, Jovic said that uh, Jimmy better pay for his fines, and I'm sure he did. I'm sure the team, you know, put down on that. So, <laughs> shout out to the, you know, shout out to the gang, man. They was ready for war, and um, especially at this time of year, you know, late February, getting to March, playoff push is real. Um, it's that time of the year. Word to Jimmy Butler, you know what I'm saying? He knows, and that calendar that we see on t Twitter circulating every single year, he knows, and he watches, he sees what we're saying about him. He understands that you know what? I think they like it this way. So I could get away with coasting as long as we're doing all right. You know what I'm saying? He could get away with all that stuff. So I, I'm, there, I'm all here for it. There's no doubt in my mind that he's seen that calendar and he said, all right. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I, I think this works. I think this works for me. Yeah, that is exactly like it's literally <laughs> that. like it's been the perfect like the the way it's going is like that's really this calendar is so accurate it is hilarious but yes he's definitely seen that calendar. Yo, right, you see, shout out to the gang. I love I love Kev mentioning um, Jaime Hawkins skipping to the fight. Whenever you see a grown man skipping towards a fight, bro, <laughs> <laughs> he's taking his time. He knows what time it is. He knows what we're about to get into, and it's really nothing, gentlemen. The Heat. On the road tonight at Sacramento, a late night game on NBA TV. Sacramento, seven and a half point favorites. You guys did beat them at home in the first meeting uh, almost four weeks ago. June, you guys covering seven and a half and winning or just covering seven and a half tonight with, uh, you know, some people out due to suspension? Yeah, I did mention, you know, Jimmy got the one game. Jovic got one game. Thomas Bryant, uh, Three games was it, Kev, or did he get one game? Three games, right? He left the bench, threw punch. Jose Alvarado on the other end, three games, and then Najee Marshall, one game. So with missing Jovic, uh, Bryant, Jovic and Bryant might not have even gotten minutes. I think Jovic would have gotten minutes tonight because I think Spo understands his his validity and what he brings to this lineup. Um, no Jimmy, no Jovic. It's going to be tough, you know. I, I don't know that we can. No Terry. No Terry either. Rozier's still out. Tyler's yep. out. Um, it's going to be tough against a really good Sacramento team who understands they can, you know, keep pushing up toward up in the West. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we don't cover. However, I do think we cover EP. I don't know that we win this game tonight. I do think we cover. 
Kev, he's smiling because he knows Spo in them in them lineups. We're gonna have uh, Alondis Williams in the game tonight. We're gonna get to see uh, a Delon Wright debut tonight, right? So it's it's gonna be very interesting to see how Spo manages this. But this is his type of game, and so if anybody could cover seven and a half with a you know half 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 ass lineup, if you will, I think it's us. What you think, Kev? Uh, well, first of all, um. Julian, I'm disappointed that you don't have any more guts than than that, because uh, we have enough. <laughs> don't, you got to have the guts. We have enough. Not only do we cover, we win. And shout out to the Hard Rock Sportsbook for boosting Miami Heat to win tonight. And I took it. So wow, let's go. Let's go into Sacramento shorthanded. Happy birthday, Duncan. Happy uh, birthday, Duncan. <laughs> it's it's going to be a Duncan game where you get 20 plus Four plus rebound, five plus assists. Uh, he's gonna. Hey, where'd you get that boost at? What were, what were the odds on that boost? Plus what? I believe it was two ten, and they boosted it to two fifty. Oh my god! So, Let's go. Yo, I got ten on it. Yeah, so <laughs> so we're uh, we're taking that. We'll, we'll, anytime, anytime you boost Heat to win, I'm taking it. They boosted them against the Pelicans. I took it. So you're right, Kev. I I do gotta have more guts than I initially did. I I also. You know, understand we're on a three-game win streak right now, right? We're in the middle of something where we can we can turn the season around, and not to say the season is lost or anything like that. We're we're not in prime position like we'd want to be. We're in playing position at the moment. We're on a West Coast trip. I think we got like the next four games on the road or something like that. Um, what really made me proud and made me feel really good and comfortable about the situation, understanding that it was the Pelicans. This team hasn't beat us since the 2019 season. This is seven straight games. Bam out of bio after, you know, those guys went out after that scuffle, after, you know, only being up four from being up 17 and losing the lead, going down a couple, getting back up four. the scuffle happens. Bam out of bio comes out and dominates the fourth quarter and the rest of it took, and, over. Uh, took over like and, On and both hey, Jonas Valanciunas is no is no slouch. That's a big dude right there. He was playing pretty good defense all game. And um, Bam Adebayo wasn't just, you know, going crazy, obviously, because we had, you know, more to more to go around. But he still shows, man, when, when he got to put, you know, put up or shut up, he, he's there and he can deliver for us. So we're going to need that tonight. He's got Sabonis. Sabonis is a double-double machine. He's got, like, he, he probably doesn't have a double-double in, like, five or six games this season, which is pretty nice. But um, Bam's got his, his work cut out for him, and I think that – if if Duncan Robinson can help him with knocking down those shots and the rate he's been doing it for the last three games, I don't see why not. And and yeah, I'm 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 excited for the Alondis Williams show tonight. If Spo kind of gives him some sort of a, a yellowish green light, and then Delon Wright, you know, I want to see what he can do on the defensive end and how he can uh, uh you know defend the point of attack with guys like De'Aaron Fox handling the ball. So we got to be careful with um. Harrison Barnes, though, that, that, that guy's still knocking down shots like he's in 2015 Golden State era. Facts, facts, facts. And two of your next three opponents are top five teams in the Western Conference, one being tonight in Sacramento and then two being on Thursday in Denver, who I just watched last night dismantle Golden State after the first quarter. It was surgical what they did. But I do want to kick it over, stay in the NBA, kick it over to the state of the conference, NBA conference standings right now. And like I said, you guys are playing two out of the top five teams in the West this week. 
there's about a six and a half game break in the West between one and seven. And then in the East, there's about a 13 and a half game break between one and seven. Who do you guys see? We'll start, I guess, in the East, right? Six, seven, eight is Indiana, Miami, Orlando, all with either tied between Miami and Orlando, which is very cool to see, or a game ahead in Indiana. Out of those three, maybe if you want to choose Philly as well. Well, Philly's in the top five. So let's say six, seven, eight. Who do you guys see making a push in the East between the Pacers, the Heat, or the Magic at this point? I guess I should probably X that, the Heat out. <laughs> You're asking one. Yeah. You're asking one, the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's rephrase. What Van Carroll's sick and flu game the other night where he hits a game winner after visibly traveling, right? <laughs> Yeah. Do they don't get to see... play. They don't get to play Detroit in the playoffs, though. Oh. <laughs> I should have started in the West. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just the Miami Heat does this, though. The Miami Heat puts people in a tough spot when talking about the playoffs because, look, it doesn't look pretty. We're the seventh seed. We're at thirty-one and twenty-five, only six games uh, uh, under five hundred, and this is not what we're going to see going forward. Like what I want to say about the heat, just to kind of stay on the topic, but also you asked me, I, I'm picking the heat. I think we're going to make the push. This is now the final form of this team, right? We didn't see this. We haven't seen this team with DeLon right yet. Right. And, and, uh, and fully healthy. So now that we've made the trade that we made, now that we made the buyout that we made, we're going to get our guys back full healthy from suspension, all this. That's the team that we got to start seeing how they gel and how they make the push, you know, to the top five. I don't think this is a top four, uh, you know, Eastern Conference team this year. However, I do think the Miami Heat can finish top five and um, and possibly four. You know, it's, it's not an impossible thing to say or think. Um, so I would take Miami. I think Kev is going to take Miami as well. We probably share the same sentiment there, especially when you look at teams like Magic, like the Bulls, and like the Pacers, which much with much respect to Indiana and what they've got going on. Um, I'm, I, I, come from, I come from an era where Indiana versus Miami don't go well for Indiana. That's just, that's just me. That's just the history. That's just the history. Kev, yeah, my, my fault. What's up? No, I was just gonna say like, I'm obviously obviously I'm taking Miami. And as far as like them getting up to four, I think it could they're two and a half behind New York right now, so it's definitely possible. Um, I like where they're sitting at seven though. Yeah, like, especially with the injuries matchup, New York has. Yeah, that matchup with Cleveland, I like. I mean, and then you get Milwaukee probably. I like, and then you get I, I like Miami versus anybody in the playoffs. It's right. like I don't I don't see anybody that's like. Complete, like, I think the East is wide open. Boston's guys, I think, play a lot of minutes now, and I don't think that's going to help them um, come postseason time. And I don't, they didn't make any big moves. They didn't like make any splashes right. in, in trade, any trade deadline. Yeah, any there's not moves. much there that you can't take advantage of come postseason. So, um, but I mean, I said it last time I was on Indiana sitting at six if they get Milwaukee that's a dangerous spot for Milwaukee to be in. So Indiana could definitely make that run as well. And I love that you mentioned Milwaukee. I actually wanted to segue into them. Them being at three right now, 
how much pressure do you think is on them after, I mean, firing their head coach middle of the season, now just firing an assistant coach, being a couple years removed from a title? How much pressure is Milwaukee on right now, Kev? Milwaukee's got to get to the finals because you not only do you the whole thing with the coach, but if you look at it, like if Milwaukee gets to the Eastern Conference Finals and plays Boston and loses to Drew Holiday, who you traded to bring in Dame, then it looks ter- everything looks terrible. And um, yeah, it's just like this whole thing with Doc has not gone that well. They beat a beat up Philadelphia team. So not the most impressive win there, but you get a win. They've been losing games that they should win. So they finally get a win in a game that they should. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just going to come down to like, I saw somebody talk about it. Um, Giannis, I think, made the comment about Dame having, like, this is going to be Dame's team down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I agree. Like, the ball needs to be in Dame's hands more than Giannis in the fourth quarter in playoff games because Dame is the guy who can make things happen more than Giannis can right. just because you got to respect as soon as he calls a half court, you have to respect him. So, right. um, it's going to come down to that. Like, can they figure out that, that way LeBron dynamic that, that 2011 finals where they couldn't, they, they almost got there and couldn't quite figure it out. And then they had that conversation right. in the offseason. Like, this is your, this is your team. Like, this is my, this is my city. This is my franchise. This is your team right now though. Like you need yeah. to be the guy. So I think and if I, that conversation can happen and they figure it out, then they can do things, but, and they, they also got to play defense. But that's what's also saying. interesting about that, that is one. Yeah. They're going to have to play way better defense than they, than they've had all season. But with Dame Lillard being the guy, you know, as, as Giannis is pointing out and he should, is Dame Lillard going to be ready to have the trust in his teammates? Because Dame Lillard has been a performer. He's been a playoff performer, regular season performer. He's a guy who can get you the buckets late. He can get you the tough shot. He can make his teammates better. However, I don't think Dame Lillard, this is just my point of view. Like, I don't think Dame Lillard has had the highest expectancy for the teammates he's had throughout his career in Portland to be able to help him get to where he wants to go. I don't think Dame Lillard has ever truly expected to make a finals appearance in Portland. It might have been maybe a a year or so when they had Aldridge and stuff. But this is a team, like Kev said, that needs to get to the finals. Eastern Conference Finals isn't enough. They went out. This is a team that's already won the finals. And Giannis Antetokounmpo is arguably the best player in the league. You go and get the hottest thing this summer, right? After, you know, you were you, your name wasn't even in the mix for most of it. You go find a way to get them. You don't lose much. You got Chris Middleton still. You still got Brooke Lopez, right? The, the team is still together. But is Dame Lillard going to be able to trust those guys around him and think, okay, you know what? Even though I am number one, even though I should be having the ball in my hands, when it is time to make the pass, when it is time to be the playmaker, in crunch time, am I going to trust? Am I going to believe that my guy's got my back? And to me, it's it's not an easy feat when you're a guy like Dame Lillard who's used to kind of just going and getting the buckets for yourself because that's what you've had to do for throughout your career. But um, it'll be interesting to see if, if he has that trust in his guys. Like Middleton is an is a incredible tough shot maker, clutch shot maker, you know, down the stretch guy. But we don't hear much of Middleton this year, right? And he's had some health issues, but yeah, we're not hearing, out. you know, about Chris Middleton doing much. But that's because Giannis and Dame are still trying to figure out 
the mano y mano, 1A, 1B, what is it going to be with us? And then there's the Brooke Lopez, Dame Lillard situation. I don't know if you guys saw the clips on Twitter, but there's a lot of clips where Brooke Lopez looks like he's hating on Dame Lillard. So chemistry is, is a big thing and a big part of winning a championship. And I think that's one of, just to bring us again up in the conversation, why the Miami Heat find success in getting deep playoff runs and finding themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals as much as they do, because we have such... Uh, trust a trustworthy group of guys and a close knit group of guys. So if they can figure that out, they're going to be very scary. It's can they? Yeah, Chris Middleton being out for that team, I think, is showing immensely, immensely, immensely. I'll kick it over to the West Coast, and we just spoke about the Clippers and their rebrand, and they are currently two and a half games outside of first place in the West, Minnesota and Oklahoma City right now tied for first place. Minnesota. Minnesota. Now, as it currently stands, and obviously this is more than likely not going to be the case, the Clippers, if the playoffs started today, would be playing the Sacramento Kings, four and fifth seed matchup. Is it in the Clippers' best interest to make a push for first place right now, June, seeing how you know stacked the West is and having you know the Pelicans, who you now hate, Dallas, the Lakers, the Warriors, who seem to be maybe figuring it out, but, uh, you know, still trying to figure it out. Is it in the Clippers' best interest to make a, a push for first place and play one of these hungry playing teams? Or should they just kind of stay, you know, 3-4 and, and, you know, get a little bit of a, of a more favorable matchup? No, I think it is in their best interest to go out for that, you know, highest seat possible. At the end of the day, you really want home court in all situations. That's that's a big thing in, in the playoffs. So um, I, as Heat fans, we talk cocky. We sound crazy. We're like, you know, it doesn't matter where you match us up. We can have home court. We don't. We can go on the road. And, and hey, that's just how we feel. That's how we talk about our team. We've seen it. But if I'm going to talk about any other NBA team, and if the Heat weren't my team, I would suggest you try as hard as you can to get home court throughout the playoffs. Like, it's it's it goes such a long way. And I don't think the Clippers want to face a team like the Kings or the Suns uh, or even like the Nuggets in the first round if it came down to it. They want to play the Mavericks. Sounds crazy. I know. Um, Mavericks have typically had their number in the past. But I think this year is a little different. I think they'd want to see the Mavericks. They'd want to see the Lakers or the Warriors. Uh, over a team like, you know, the Kings or the Suns. So, yeah, go out and get that number one seed if you can. And it's very viable. You, you said it. Um, they're only two and a half games out. SGA is putting up MVP numbers and, you know, holding it down for the Thunder right now. Timberwolves got, you know, three great guys along with a very deep cast who, who are playing sound basketball night in and night out. Took a tough loss on Friday to those Bucks. Um and obviously the Nuggets sitting at the three seed right there, who I think are going to truly lock up the number one seed. We'll see them start to tighten up gears in the last month or so here. Um, yeah, the Clippers have to attack this full head of steam. Paul George got to get back in the lineup and they got to start, you know, closing out games. They're at 37 and 19. They're doing exceptional this season. Um, and it, it's just funny, man. I remember talking about this in, in November or even October when they made the James Harden trade and it was just like, Give it a little bit, bro. Give it a little bit. James Harden didn't even practice all summer with, with his team. You know, he didn't do training camp, didn't do Facts. preseason. Comes to a new team, has to figure out the pick and roll with Zubak. They've got it down packed now. So the the Clippers and the, or the Vessels, whatever you want to call them, they, they're coming. And I think it is in their best interest, yes, to get a, a high seat possible. Kev, how you feel about it? Uh. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody should be playing for the number one seed if it's within reach. Like it's like June said, like you want to you want to be at home. Even even the Heat, like I feel more comfortable than playing at home. Um, but right. yeah, you always want to you you want to get the highest seed that you can to get as many home games as you can. Um, but the West is just like is jam like you meant you mentioned one through seven, like one through eight is separated by seven games. And you look at the East, one and two is separated by seven and a half games. So there's more room between one and two in the East than there is in between one and eight in the West. So um, yeah, that's that's a a tough conference to be in. And it's like I talked about last episode, like we can, or last time I was on, we might see the playoffs with no LeBron and no Steph because they're sitting right now at nine and 10. That means they they play each other in the play and one of them gets eliminated already. And then the loser or the winner would have to play the loser of Pelicans and the Mavericks who have been playing really good basketball all season. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a, it's it's just, no, it's just, it's just a tough conference right now. And like, I don't think you want to see it. Like you, there's not a team that you like look at in that conference. Honestly, the team that you might want to see is Minnesota. Like that might be the team that you look at and you're like, Shit, I'm a, I'll take the eight seed at this point. I, I can, I can, I don't want to play. OKC's been clicking, and Minnesota has been clicking as well. But like, you just wonder, and those top two seeds might really be like the two most favorable matchups for the rest of the the conference because the rest yeah, of the conference. So, if, so if LeBron and Steph have to play Timberwolves and the fucking Thunder, it's like, hey, we might see a, a good playoff run from LeBron and Steph again. And to that point. Steph and the Warriors, since Draymond's return with yesterday's loss, went to 11 and 6, but they are top five in points per game, total defense. Like they got a couple stats that they're just exceptional right now. They are clicking. Draymond Green, as much shit as we talk about him, and as much, you know, it is fun to poke at the fact that he has all these antics. Draymond Green means so much to that lineup and so much to that team. When you say heart and soul, it's literally what he embodies. He gets guys in the positions they need to be in because I, I don't know who it was, but somebody mentioned like, you know, Steph isn't such a vocal leader. And I think it was Stephen A. Smith and uh, Draymond Green took exception to it. We talked about it a couple weeks ago on, on here, EP, but Steph isn't necessarily from what we see as a fan, the biggest or the most vocal of a leader. Not to say he doesn't lead his guys and put his guys in right positions, but Draymond Green has that role for a reason. He's the guy who gets you know on his guys he's tough on his guys he's the smartest in my opinion on defense he knows the game of basketball and especially on the defensive end so having him out there on the court is just so valuable for that team that we've seen their record is showing and they played a good first half against Denver I'll say I'll say a first half and you know that one of the best teams in the league kind of just took over but I would be worried if I was OKC or if I was Minnesota and we had to play the Golden State Warriors because last year we would talk about the Kings, right? And it took them seven games. It took Steph seven games and a 50-point game seven to beat the Kings and eliminate them. But I didn't think the Kings were ready to get out of the first round just yet last year. This year, I could see that. We'll have that conversation closer to the playoffs. But that's how I feel about Minnesota this year and even a little bit about OKC. I just don't know that they're ready for this big opportunity that's ahead of them, whether they're the number one seed, whether they're the three or four seed, because, again, it's only separated by so many games right now. But 
if we do see LeBron and the Lakers start to heat up, I don't think we're going to get a deep playoff run from them. But if they do have a favorable matchup against the number one or two seed, and that happens to be OKC or Minnesota, hey, look for that upset, is, is speaking to Kev's point. Speaking of upsets, there isn't too much top 25 college basketball action tonight, but those good old Miami boys are down by three at number nine, North Carolina right now. That is Miami, Florida, not Miami of Ohio. Just to, you know, clarify, 70 to 73, 24 seconds left at North Carolina, as well as, I want to make sure that I see this right, Baylor, number 15 Baylor at TCU this evening. TCU two and a half point favorites at home. A lot of controversy surrounding college basketball this past weekend. And, you know, this isn't the first time that this said type of controversy has been talked about this season. A couple weeks ago, uh, we have Iowa losing women's college basketball court stormed. Kaylin Clark trying to run off, literally run off the court to get off of the court, let them celebrate. You know, she collides with the fans. She drops. She, thank God she was okay post-game, was able to do a press conference and everything. This weekend, we see Duke travel over to Wake Forest. You good? She was still able to break that record as well. <laughs> Not nah, fact. Shout out to Kitten Clark getting her number on the floor in Iowa at the spot where she broke that record. That is monumental. You know, it's it's amazing. So congrats to you on that for sure. This weekend we see Duke men's basketball travel over to Wake Forest. <sighs> Take an L. Hurts me to say. Pains me to say. Take an L. Court is stormed. Kyle Filipkowski. Is caught up in the storm, as they say, ends up, you know, the video's out there. However you want to interpret the video, you can interpret the video. <laughs> but one thing leads to another, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> and he drops, you know, early reports were saying that he has a sprayed ankle. They haven't confirmed that yet, if I'm not mistaken. Um, one of you two can correct me if I am wrong. Did he play tonight? That's that's what I want to know. Is he playing tonight? Because he said it was a little sore. A little sore is not sprained ankle, in my opinion. And this is some shade here. This is a, I'm a Duke fan. You know me. I'm a Duke fan. This is a little shade. And the Caitlin Clark still being able to break the record, it was a little shade there as well, too. Because <laughs> I have some thoughts on this topic. But finish up. No, you're good. So, you know what? I'm going to let you kind of, you know, reflect on, those, on, on what you got to say. Kev. Should we ban court storming at this point with the two incidences and the, you know, proverbial mass hysteria that's going on in the medium, uh, in the media concerning court storming? So they did say no major injury. He is, he is just a little sore, no major injury. They confirmed. I, I, I know exactly what June is getting at and I'm, I'm kind of with him. Um, <laughs> we like, we rarely see, I don't, I mean, I, I could be wrong. I don't think I've ever seen like a major injury or where like something happens where somebody misses a game after a court storming. I think more was, uh, there was something other than his ankle that was hurt um, in, the, in that situation. And I think it was probably his feelings or his pride uh, because they just lost Wake Forest. So I don't, I don't, I mean, granted, like as a, as an athlete, you tweak something and you feel like, oh, like, and the emotions of we just lost maybe made it hurt a little bit more but um yeah i don't i don't think that uh 
I don't it's it's a it's a tradition. Like if anything, maybe get off the court, especially in a in a game that you know is is over. Get off the court quick as a coach, get your team off the court. There's those situations obviously where game's still on the line, take a shot last second, you don't have enough time to get off the court because buzzer sounds and game's over. Um, but in the situation like the game on Saturday, like get off the court, you know you lost the game already, game's over, just get off the court and 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 call it a night. June, should it be banned? Should it be some more regulation? Uh, yeah, I was muted, my security? bad. But... What do you think? No, listen. I think that, and to just not to be too insensitive to the topic, um, Joe K, he is a ex-college basketball player. There was a, a sobering story where um, years ago, I think this was like 2013, you know, he was thrown to the floor in a court uh, storm situation and suffered a torn cartery, uh, cart, sorry, cartoid artery and had a stroke and it left him paralyzed on his right side. Now, does seem very one in a million type of situation. As Kev said, we don't necessarily see injuries due to court storming. So to my argument, no, I don't think we should ban court storming. I think court storming and field storming is part of college sports. And I think that's part of the exhilaration and what fans look forward to. So one way to fix court storming is by winning games you're supposed to win. And upsets happen. I get it. But Duke doesn't beat Iona and storm the court. The camera crazies ain't going too crazy because they just beat Wichita State, right? Wichita State or FGCU comes into North Carolina and upsets the number two team in the country. What do you expect? These kids were not expecting to see this in, in front of their eyes. Not to say it's not crazy what they're doing. It's not to say that, you know, it's not a little out of the ordinary, but it's a tradition. It's something that happened 40 years ago. It's something that's going to happen in 40 years from now. And it should happen in my, it might not, they might ban it. They might, you know, OD on the security and start giving dudes jobs that, Hey, if, if we got money to pay around for security to just hold people back, red Rover style, I don't know how you stop a corn, a court storm. Like, how do you one? How do you discipline a student for storming a court? You got to catch them, right? What are you going to catch? Four of them, five well, of them. Jay Billis had an idea, and I know, I, yeah. I, yeah, and I didn't even want to bring it up, but since we're here, yes, Jay Billis' idea is like, well, you could let them storm the court and then trap them on the court and start handing out citations or detaining them or arresting them. Listen, and Richard Jefferson, I was actually watching NBA. Uh, NBA today th this afternoon and Richard Jefferson is like that's got to be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard with respect to Jay Billis because yes Jay Billis is a legend he is somebody that I look up to somebody that I love hearing his insight on college basketball probably one of the most um, informed college basketball analysts there are but you were a little wrong here and so just to bring it back to my point I think that one it is a part of college sports it is tradition we haven't seen major injury or injury of that matter due to court storming. It's 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 less than few and far between. The Caitlin Clark thing, was she hurt? Was she hurt or was she pissed? Or was she salty, <laughs> like you said? Because, because women can be salty too. And I'm not saying that against women or anything like that. But yeah, Kyle wrong Filipkowski, pod, wrong pod. 
No, no, it's it's the right part because guess what? When Caitlin Clark going out there breaking records and she's putting twenty, they're putting twenty two Caitlin Clark on the floor in Iowa. We're gonna give her her praise. We're gonna tell her. We're gonna tell her how good she is at what she does. And when Andrew Reese comes out here and is talking her shit and waving at her, we love this. That's part. We're talking sports right now, right? So women can be wrong in sports, and I think that Caitlin Clark. It was more of her ego being hurt than her being hurt physically because she ain't miss a game. She ain't miss a minute. Kyle Filipkowski, whether he wants to act like he was really hurt, I don't think bro was hurt. And he also looked like he was engaging in the contact. If you watch the video, that's my interpretation. He said I could interpret it however I want. But my interpretation <laughs> of the video was that he looked like he wanted to try to initiate some contact and it backfired on him. Listen, if you lose, bro, take your loss, get off the court as safely as possible. Guys have done it for the last 50 years and it doesn't seem to be the biggest issue. If you're going to cry about losing to the worst team in Division Three basketball, don't lose to them. You know what I'm saying? Come to play. Put, how about instead of letting your pride get so hurt at the end of the game, you play with some pride and don't play down to your competition and you don't have to lose to teams that are willing to storm 10,000 people on a court if they beat you. Because that team should not have beat you. Yeah, I can hear. What's good, Kev? No, I was just going to say real quick. Um you only have to specify which Miami you're talking about when you're talking about Miami of Ohio. Just for... Word. You know what? You're right. That was disrespectful. Shouldn't have even... You're at a thousand Thanks, percent. Right? <laughs> I, I can hear June's frustration coming out also as a Duke fan, a member of the Brotherhood, and just looking that sloppy as a basketball player, I can agree. Like, you can't be out here trying to make contact you know, I interpreted it that way as well. I sent it to the group chat. I was like, yo, homie, homie tried to try to lay one out. And he kind of did, you know, right before he got injured. I'll give you guys another perspective as a Duke fan. The date is January 23rd. The year is 2013. And I take a trip down to Cole Gables, right, to watch Duke back when it was called the Watsco Center play Miami. First Duke game I've ever been to. Duke is in town. Number one ranked in the country versus number 25 Miami Hurricanes. I'm psyched. I'm pumped. And Miami comes out. First half blows us out 42-19. Ends up closing the game 90-63. to They flat down put a beat down. And with like 30 seconds left in the game I'm looking at the scoreboard and I'm like, I'm feeling the energy and I'm like, they're going to storm the court. They're going to storm the court. They're a thousand percent going to storm the court. That clock hit double zero and that court was full of Miami Hurricane faithful student section emptied, you know, a lot of the 100 section emptied. And as much as it pained and hurt me to see my number one ranked you know, Quinn Cook, Seth Curry's on that team, Suleiman's on that. It, it was, you know, we were Plumlee's on that team. We were a little stacked team to see them lose. As much as it pained me, it was a beautiful sight. You can absolutely not ban court storming. It's a part of the game. Get off of the court. I know John Shire was mentioning in his post game when he was playing, you know, you had a little five second, 10 second runoff, let the players get off, and then the, you know, the court would be stormed. Maybe add some type of, you know, some structure to it if you don't want things like this to happen, which nobody does, obviously. But banning it, I think, is completely out of the question because, again, as much as it pained me, it was one of the most beautiful things I've seen. Kev, you had something to add? Yeah, I was going to say, I know I know you're a Duke fan, so I know it hurt. But 
because you were in that situation, I would have taken my Duke gear off and I would have stormed the court with them. Storm that motherfucker too. <laughs> when you have the opportunity to do that. I was gonna ask, and I was thinking about this as he's saying it. I'm thinking, man. So I, I you know, we're from South Florida. We like Miami Heat football, uh, Miami Heat basketball. We like, you know, University of Miami football. And a lot of people give me shit for liking a different basketball and football team. Hey, call me what you want. I don't give a fuck. I don't watch sports because of how you want me to. I watch sports and Facts. I like teams I like because based on when I started to watch this, this is what I was attracted to. And JJ Redick is my favorite college basketball player of all time, plays for Duke, and I rooted for them ever since. Miami Hurricanes, I've rooted for them since, you know what I'm saying, the heydays, and that was what I attracted to. So do I support Miami basketball? Of course. I'm from South Florida. I'm going to support Miami basketball. If they're playing Duke, I'm definitely going to support my Duke Blue Devils. If I'm in a situation where I'm at the Watsco Center, formerly known as the Watsco Center, uh, and Duke loses to the Hurricanes, you know what? I think I'd be a little too salty to storm the court, and I'm glad EP stood on business. I'm glad EP didn't take this opportunity to shit on his own team because <laughs> Come on, very man. disrespectful, very disrespectful if you were to do that. And if you do that, that's something that in 15 years, it's like, but you stormed that court. Don't act like you ain't stormed that court. You know what I'm saying? So it's like something, would, would I be able to live down the fact that I stormed the court on an upset uh, probably not, but the experience of being able to storm a court is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I believe, and I, that has to be very exhilarating. If it thrill, you know what I'm saying? Very, very much thrill. Um, so I, there would be like some sort of exception, I guess. But I'm, I'm glad you stood on business, EP. You were strong. You, you probably pissed off about how you know bad we lost that day. But I did want to add. I thought that if there was going to be a storm court ban. It would have came from from the from the sense of a fan safety issue. I thought a fan would have got thousand percent before a player got hurt. Like we look at the football when when they storm those football fields, they're jumping into the field like from like a eight foot. You know what I'm saying? And these dudes is piling in girls. Nobody's getting. I don't know. They figure it out. They like they do this in unison and they understand how to get to the midfield mid court and everybody's cool. But. I never thought that we'd be talking about, you know, banning this from a perspective of an ankle getting hurt or a knee twisting. Like, eh, come on, bro. Come on. <laughs> and speaking of number one, what a great segue. Speaking of dude getting knocked off in 2013 as a number one ranked team. There's been a lot of upsets this year, right? And it seems as if every time a team in – College basketball gets the number one ranking. Something happens. They're knocked off. I mean, preseason and, you know, week two favorite this year, Kansas loses in week five to number four Marquette. Purdue gets it, loses in week eight to Northwestern. Arizona gets it, loses to Purdue. Oh, Arizona loses all the time as a one seed. (laughs) That's a fact. They do. They do. They do. And then you look back on it, right? And number one ranked team in in the last week of the season last year was Alabama. They lose in the Sweet 16 to San Diego State, right? Year before that, number one. Yeah, great game. Year before that, Gonzaga goes into the dance as a number one ranked team. They lose in the Sweet 16 to Arkansas. Year before that, 
Gonzaga also comes in as a number one ranked team in the in the last week of the season. They lose in the championship to Baylor. That was a good game too. Uh, you know, great game. Toward, towards the end, right? The year before that, well, the year before that, the dance was canceled because that was a pandemic. But the year before that, Duke goes in and loses in the Elite Eight to number two Michigan. Does the number one ranked team going into the last week really even matter at this point? Is it all just hype, Kevin? I don't think it ever has. Like, if you're a top four seed, you get a one seed in the tournament. I don't, I mean, and then you still, it's still one game. It's a single elimination tournament. So if you're the best team in the nation, you'll win it. Um, If not, then you won't. But I never thought like being the number one overall seed was like a necessary thing. It's not like you get home court or any sort of advantage for it. You just maybe get to play a weaker team in the first round and maybe a little bit of a weaker team in the second round. But once you get to that Sweet 16, Elite Eight, you, you got the top 16 teams in the nation and you just got to go out there and win. But what I got from that is that um, Saturday at 8 p.m., Houston, the current number one ranked team is at Oklahoma. And if you need a max win, you should probably take Oklahoma in that game. <laughs> Kev's taking a boost. And just to clarify. I need a max win. <laughs> just to clarify. The number, one, the number one ranked team in the last week of the season doesn't necessarily get the number one ranked seed in the tournament. So those are two separate things. But June, how do you feel about being the number one ranked team going into the conference tournament? And has that aura really died? Because I remember, you know, back in the day, that was a big thing. No, I, yeah, I mean, watching, you know, Selection Sunday, I believe it is, or whatever, yeah. you know, when you're going to see what where you fall in the tournament. To Kev's point, I, I don't think it means, I won't say it doesn't mean anything. I don't, I don't think it means as much um, I do think if you are in the realm of getting a number one seed or playing number one basketball, yeah, of course, like whether you're in the NBA, whether you're in the end, you want to be the best, right? You want to be the top to play the worst for, for at least a little bit. So I'm not going to act like there's no advantage to having a number one seed, because if I could play the 16 seed in my first round matchup over the 10th seed, I'm going to, I would, I would want that. However, that doesn't mean that that 16 seed can't beat you. And we've seen Throughout the years, whether it's Virginia, whether it's Arizona, losing that number one 16, you know what I'm saying? Um, there are teams out there that are willing to put everything they have and all their eggs into one basket to beat the number one seed because that's the opportunity of their lifetime. So just know having the number one seed does come with some sort of advantage, but it also comes with a huge target on your back where this team that you're playing first round is coming to knock your head off. Whether they're talented enough to do it or not, but they are coming to knock your head off, and they are coming to basically ruin your season. You know what I'm saying? Um, at the end of the day, like Kev said, it's a 64 you know team tournament where the best team is going to win. You got to play each game like it's your last game, and you can do that as a nine seed. You can do it as a five seed. You can do it as a one seed. We haven't seen. Obviously, we're not saying that. <laughs> you could go out to the tournament and hope to be a 16 or 14 seed and, and you're going to have the greatest odds to win. We don't necessarily see that, but um, whether you're a number one, two, three, or four seed, if you're good enough to be in the top four, you should be good enough to put your best foot forward and win the tournament. Um, so yeah, I don't think it it matters that much. I want to kick it over to the chat real quick. Chris Duarte in there early saying F the Pels. What up? 
<laughs> what up, Chris? And Thanks. that boy Cardi telling us that we cooking, flopping after the double zero is crazy. Shout I think to, that was in reference shout to, to Cardi. Shout to Cardi. Show was. Shout to Cardi. Also, fuck the fan who throwing stuff on the court in New Orleans. You too old for that shit. You, you got nice seats and you throwing shit on the court, throwing stuff at the Heat players. Like, just be a better person. Like, you know, I'm not trying to tell you how to fan. But I'm trying to tell you how to be a better man. Just, just you know, don't go to the game to be throwing shit at people. That's 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 very immature. I don't think that you know if, if you was in the street with any one of these NBA professionals, you would be throwing things at them. Facts. Um, so Me- let's, you know, what I'm saying. Meta world peace real. has entered the chat. <laughs> yes. and I'm glad we didn't see any type of malice at the palace or the movie at the smoothie center. Go ahead, Kev. <laughs> yes. Movie at the smoothie is crazy. Yeah. It, I mean, yes, because if anybody went into the stands and rightfully so, you're throwing stuff and something at me, I should be able to go in the stands and put hands on you. But that's assault. If they did if they do if they did that, they lose their whole season, and a lot there's a lot worse repercussions for the player doing that oh, yeah. than the fan doing that. Um, but also, like, it's it's it reminded me of like the the whole situation with KD and the fan in in Dallas like calling him a bitch as he walks onto the court and then try to shake his hand right after he turns around like that is the epitome of the internet that era. was crazy that was really like some weirdo like ah but you my That's dog though yeah Why like i'm not playing what he said i have a sports podcast yeah <laughs> which which really he i don't know that he said anything like you could hear when Whoever said bitch was the female. Right. So maybe he didn't say anything and maybe he was just trying to smooth things over. Cause, but the, the woman clearly called him a bitch and then was real friendly and smiling and trying to shake his hand once he turned around. So and she was like, come on. Like, no, you come on. Like, what, what are we doing? Like, you, yeah, you're a fan. You like your team, but we don't have to disrespect people's yeah. man. Shout, shout out to the Heat fan, though, that was in there with all the smoke with the vice blue D-Way jersey. These guys. Stuff. And bump and rump with anybody who wanted it. He's gonna be at the March 22nd matchup. So shout out to him. Um, he's not even from Miami. I saw a quote, he was on the Dan Levertar show. He's like 305 till I die. I'm not even from Miami. That's crazy. That's fire. That's fire. That's fire. Yo, what else quick, you got for us, EP? Quick update. The Miami Hurricanes did lose to the North Carolina Tar Heels 75-71. Weren't able to pull it off. Uh, and then live live look in to the number 15 Baylor on the road at TCU. TCU did close at minus two and a half point favorites at home against a top 15 team in Baylor. They are currently down by one, 17 to 16, about nine minutes into the first half. And I know that we said we would probably lay off the football talk, but guess what? We'll never lay off the football talk. Don't care what time of the year it is. The Cincinnati Bengals franchise tag T Higgins, 21 mil, if I'm not mistaken, one year, June. Best decision they made in this offseason, or should they not have franchise tagged him? Oh, no, they definitely had to franchise tag him. Uh, I don't know. Okay, had to is crazy, but the cap went up, you know, in the NFL, in the NFL this year, $30 million. So I, f- I feel like that was one of the reasons that they felt more inclined to say here you're going to be the first person tagged this season um i'm i'm a fan of it i think t higgins makes his team all that much better i think that jamar chase is going to you know continue to grow as a wide receiver with a guy like t higgins on the other side 
Um, and Joe Burrow needs that as a quarterback. You know, he, he needs a, a, a guy who can get him to tough yards, you know, a big physical guy, 6'4", strong hands. Um, so I'm, I'm just happy to see that they didn't break up the band. And I know that you're probably not too fond of T. Higgins staying in, in, in Cincinnati and, and continuing to be a, a pest for guys like Legereus Sneed and uh, Trent McDuffie. But, you know, that's, that's what it's going to take to try to probably knock off the Chiefs. That's what they need. Don't make me pull a clay on you right now, bro, and just. <laughs> <laughs> Very petty, bro. Very petty. Kev, what do you think about the e, uh, I said the EP, the T. Higgins uh, franchise tag? Hey, before Kev, real quick, getting, you know, staying for 20 million a year just to not make the playoffs again is crazy, but I digress. That's continue, crazy. Continue, Kev. That's the C. He, he commented on my, my Jalen Brown post. That's that's the hater in you, E. You see it. It comes hey, out. Hey, hey, out hey, 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 hey. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, like, cool, but you got to pay Jamar. Like he's he's in that fourth year of a fifth year deal. Obviously, I'm assuming they're gonna pick up the fifth year option. Um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta pay Jamar. And now, if you extend Jamar this offseason, what does that look like to T. Higgins? Well, you stretch it out. I mean, they're they're definitely stretching this out as far as they can, right? Like we need to keep these boys together as cheap as possible and as long as possible, and then we'll make our decision when it's time to really make that bag decision. And I don't think that's too much of a tough decision. You know what I'm saying? We pay Burrow, we're gonna pay Jamar. If T. Higgins fits in there, we're going to love to have him. But realistically, this year, it really it really fucked them over because Joe Burrow was hurt. You know what I'm saying? And they could have done a lot more damage um, in a tough division, I want to say. You know, that was a very tough division where the Ravens looked like they were going to win it regardless of the situation. But if Joe Burrow was healthy, you know, that could have went anybody's way. This year, they have another... They just have they just kind of bought more time with this tag. And that's why I think it was smart. Because like Kev said, they are gonna have to sign Jamar and and that's gonna be a hefty, hefty, hefty tag for him or price. They're not gonna tag him, they're gonna sign him. Uh they might tag him, but that's gonna be a hefty price for him nonetheless. And so yeah, they gotta they gotta make this work as long as they can. And with football talk, of course, there has to be some type of comments made about defending champions because I mean that's what you do about champions you just you got you got to speak on them and Antonio Pierce head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders was on Max Crosby's podcast and made some comments referring to how to stop Mahomes and this is a paraphrase he says we got the Jordan rules and now I'm calling out the Patrick Mahomes rules remember when Jordan was going through it with the Pistons the Pistons used to whoop his ass Greeny later on that day on Get Up, shout out to ESPN. This isn't a paid sponsorship, but come fuck with us. Greeny on Get Up says, I don't like it. I don't like hearing it. And if I'm the league, I'm doing something about it. Protecting the QBs is the single most important thing the NFL can do. Patrick Mahomes is the most important player in football. You cannot have coaches preaching, hurting him. June. Does Greeny, does Greeny have the same comment if Aaron Rodgers doesn't get hurt on September 11th four plays into the Jets season? That's all I want to know. And he didn't even get hurt from another player. He hurt himself. But I, I, I'm i going to answer your question, E. I will give my thoughts on AP's comments. But Greeny, he's, he's somebody, first of all, Mike Greenberg, if you don't know, amazing career, right? I want to give him his flowers. Somebody I looked up to. I watched, I listened to Mike and Mike in the morning 
on the radio before school with my father. I watched Mike and Mike in the morning, getting ready for school in middle school. Uh, his transition to being the host of Get Up, like all of that. I love Mike Greenberg and, and what he's done for ESPN, what he's done for sports and how he talks about sports. But over this past year and a half or so, he has been a little cringeworthy with some of the things he says and some of his feelings. I get it. He's, you know, much like Stephen A. Smith. I feel the same way. Like, he's got to say some shit to stir some shit, right? However, it's a bit of a reach. I mean, first of all, if you're a competitor, fuck the other team, bro. And fuck their quarterback especially. You think the Raiders care about Patrick Mahomes' health? You think the Raiders truly would see Patrick Mahomes get hurt and be like, man, bro, I wish you could be out there for real, man, man. Hell no. Yo, Patrick Mahomes is hurt this week, y'all boys. We got food on the table. Y'all got to eat. Patrick Mahomes is limping this week, y'all boys. Go get that. And that's going to be the locker room talk. You're not going to say it publicly to the media. You're not going to tell your guys, go hurt the man. This is not like Bounty Gate. It's, it's, it's not that. But telling your guys to rough up the next guy to go make sure you give him some love taps to make sure you put a little extra on it because he's the best player in our sport and he can't seem to be beaten because what did he, you know what I'm saying? One, two, yeah. I'm all for the Raider way coming back and being instilled from an ex-player who understands to beat a team that has a great quarterback, you got to pressure the quarterback and you got to make them feel you, right? And Max Crosby is the perfect player to have at the helm of a bad boy piston type of Raiders defense. And I want to say this, EP, we spoke earlier off the record as far as, you know, hey, you know, well, last time we played, we still beat him. And I get that. But last time y'all played, he didn't look like his normal self. He got hit 10 times and he threw a pick six in that game. There was some sort of effect to the what to what he's speaking to. Did Patrick Mahomes come out that game limping and couldn't play in his he won the Super Bowl, goddammit. You know what I'm saying? So I think Antonio Pierce understands that there there are rules still. He has integrity, respects the game, but at the same time, he's not your friend. And he's not here to baby nobody. This is a violent sport. Let's get violent. Kev. Yeah, I mean, Antonio Pierce knows better than anybody. He was on the team that beat the 16 and 0 uh Patriots. And they did it by getting to Brady. And when they couldn't sack him, maybe you hit him a little bit. You know, not n- nothing crazy, but make him, like like June said, pause, make him feel you. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's just what it is. That's the reality of it. Like, the more the quarterback's getting hit, the more that's in the back of his mind every time he drops back to pass. Like, I got to get this ball off. The pressure could be coming. You hit, as a, just as a human being, if you continually get hit time after time after time, what did Marshawn Lynch say? Again and again and again and again. And again and again and again. Yeah. At some point, human nature takes over and it's like yeah. you get paranoid. You hear footsteps. You don't know if it's your guy or their guy. Yeah. You know, and then you make a mistake. And that's, you know, realistically, every team, it shouldn't just be against Mahomes. Like, you should play every quarterback that way. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm- Mahomes... Mahomes in the Super Bowl was very uncomfortable. We haven't seen Mahomes play that uncomfortable of a football game in the playoffs Facts. until that Super Bowl. And pressure. It's getting hit. It's pressure. It's 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 wanting to leave the pocket a little quicker than he typically would. Maybe not seeing all the reads he has. And if that's going to help you against a divisional matchup, I'm all for that. 
We're not going to get into EP's EPL this week only because Champions League's on the break. We'll get back club soccer this weekend. But I do have an, you know, kind of a fly question for you guys. And it has to do with how the wind blows in Chicago. Now, check this out, guys. Peter King, American sports writer, announces retirement today. Absolutely. Three-time sports writer of the year award winner for NBC. Announces retirement, 40-plus years. He'll still probably, you know, do little things here and there, but he announces retirement as a sports writer. On the way out, he leaves a little, you know, food for thought, right? And he says he doesn't know anything, but it seems like Chicago could keep fields, right? Could keep fields in a crazy scenario that he outlines in a column that he wrote this morning. And it says, Browns trade down to two, give the first pick to Washington. And Bears. Yeah, sorry. The Bears trade down to two, trade down one to, to number two, give that pick to Washington. They get that pick, a second round pick this year, and a first round pick next year. Washington obviously would take Caleb Williams at that point at the top, at the you know overall first overall pick. Now the Bears take that second pick and send that to Atlanta, who gets one of the other QBs. Chicago gets the eighth pick that Atlanta's in, and Atlanta's second round pick and first round pick for next Atlanta's second round pick and a first and second round pick next year. Now, imagine moving from one to eight and getting all of that draft hall and maybe getting some support system around Justin Fields. Kev, good idea or is this just kind of blowing wind as they say? Okay, so you're taking so they'd be taking so they'd be they'd be uh, from one to eight and they get like two extra first like two or three extra seconds so I, I see the one to two, right? And I think the biggest thing that you can do for Justin Fields is go get him Marvin Harrison Jr. And so if I'm Chicago, I got the ninth pick as well. I'll take Marvin Harrison and then take the best available player at nine, whether that's an off, the best offensive lineman on the board or whatever it may be. But I think having – I love DJ Moore. I don't think he's a number one. Like, I don't think he's the Justin Jeffersons of this world. I think – that could be Marvin Harrison. So I think if you put DJ Moore, like to me, DJ Moore is a one B like he's a one, but he's not like that one. That's going to take you over the top. Yeah. Um. So I think you having DJ Moore as your number two, but Marvin Harrison on the other side is that, that, that could be scary. And if you get Justin, Je- uh, Justin Jefferson, Justin Fields, if you can get him some protection and some time to throw the ball, you could have something, something that you can build on there and, and move forward and with the future. So, um, I don't know about dropping. I see the one to two. I don't know if I'd move from two to eight after that. But e- EP, can you repeat the dropping yeah, from two percent. to eight? What are they getting back? Just what are they getting back when they trade the number two to the eighth pick? They would get Atlanta's second round pick this year and a first and second round pick next year. So they get the eighth no, pick this year. I get it. I get it. I get the it. Second, so Atlanta's second round pick and then a first and second round pick next year. My thing is, I get what Kev is saying, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. could completely flip this whole thing, right? And and he can be the guy that saves Chicago. As far as trading Justin Fields, 
it's unnecessary, in my opinion. Caleb Williams could be that once-in-a-generational guy, but we're going to see better quarterbacks coming into this league regardless. That's that's something that's going to be a given. Now, if Justin Fields is the best quarterback that they've had statistically in Chicago for the last 30 years, possibly one of the best quarterbacks in franchise history almost already, you got to work and build on top of that. So, yes, I'm doing the first trade. And then when I'm thinking about the second trade with Atlanta to eight, I would like that trade because Kev said you do need to get him some protection, and he does need another weapon outside of DJ Moore. There are a lot of great receivers coming into the league this year where you can look to and say, at number eight, we're still comfortable grabbing this receiver, this receiver, or this receiver. There's probably going to still be a good three to four receivers at eight that you're like, hmm. Now we got to make a choice on what kind of receiver we want. It's not Marvin Harrison, right? But he's a very, very respectable first-round pick, top 10 worthy draft pick. Now we have all this extra capital to whether we want to get more help on the receiving end, stat, uh, you know, uh, what do they call that, uh, skill position players, or we can just haul all this and use this as protection for fields. So I would, if I'm going to keep fields, I would definitely trade to two and then to eight. Um, and just try to get as much draft capital because guess what? Like having the more draft picks early, you're, you're going to build a good team. You're going to build a good team. But I'm also not opposed to just drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. and not being greedy about the whole thing. However, they are in a position where they can be greedy, and I think Ryan Poles understands that, and he should. So, Jude, real quick, you're saying you, you said trading fields is unnecessary, so you're saying Chicago should keep fields. Yeah. I mean, listen, your your star receiver wants that. And I'm not saying you go to listen to him. However, he's one of the better players on your team. So, you know, if he has a strong opinion about the guy and he's not going to, he's not, I don't think DJ Moore coming from where he came from is going to look at this quarterback and say, keep him if he didn't truly feel like he was good enough to be a guy. Kev, Chicago keeps fields or trades him? Yeah, I think. I think you keep him. I mean, not only does DJ Moore want him, last game of the season, the, the Bears fans are chanting, we want Fields. Like, there is – so – and you kind of got to listen to your fans a little bit, right? Like, they're the ones who pay, pay the tickets, they pay, you know. Yeah. And granted, they'll, they'll still be there regardless of what you do. But um, I think Justin Fields has progressively gotten better every year, and I think that's without any much around him, like, like I said, like, I, I love DJ Moore. I don't think he's that guy that helps your quarterback who needs that kind of help. And um, you got a solid tight end, Cole Komet. If you can just get that guy, that game-changing receiver, then, and, and, you know, there's a lot of free agent running backs coming. Josh Jacobs, um, it, you know, there's there's plenty of running backs that are Saquon. coming. Saquon. There's um, Tony Pollard. Like, there's, there's a heavy uh, running back market in free agency this year. So... If you can end up picking somebody up there and you add Marvin Harrison and then draft an offensive lineman at nine, plus whatever capital you get from that trade with Washington, like there, you can do more than enough there, I think, to, uh, to help Fields out. I Listen, I would agree with the both of you, right? I'm all for it. He's a talent. But I would agree with you guys if you didn't already trade the number one pick last year and miss out on a man by the name of C.J. Stroud who took his team to the playoffs in his first year. You already, you pardon my French, you're already, shat, 
Yeah, you already shat the bed once. You can't do it twice. Get Justin Fields out of town. Get yourself a quarterback. Take Grant Caleb Dillard. Williams. They didn't shit the bed. Carolina shit the bed. And so, yeah. so in that sense... Fair, but... But the bear sat in that same bed for a little bit. All right, <laughs> that, that's fine. But their their bed is looking nice now because they got two top ten picks out of it. So you, they traded out of it. At least Carolina didn't end up being Houston, and so yeah. now it's like we did it last year. We ended up good, and Washington. Like if you don't think Washington's going to be that good this year, I mean Atlanta's got plenty of pieces to be good if they can make a trade hey. for quarterback. So. Time will tell, boys. It's going to be April. By the time we know it, two months from now, we're going to be talking about this draft and what Chicago did and how they could have been did better or how they aced exactly what they needed to do. A thousand percent. And as we cross that hour 12 mark at this point, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this has been your Monday night Austin Sports number one podcast episode. If you tuned in to the live we appreciate you so much. You couldn't have been anywhere in the world on this beautiful evening, but you were here with us. If you're tuning in on your streaming platforms after the fact, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking time out of your busy day and tapping in with us. We will see you all on Thursday. Peace. Fuck the Dawkins. <laughs> hey, that was crazy.